This is the Bill Kelly Show podcast. Well, I want to talk about the Police Services Board uh, to start off the show today, which has been a very contentious issue for a number of years here in the city for a variety of reasons. But more specifically, over the last couple of years, I think, um, well, because of some of the infighting that's gone on on there, and I think it, 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 that does seem rather churlish, frankly, to see some of the comments that are going back and forth between Police Services Board members and uh, and then, you know, this guy takes charges against this one and takes umbrage with something somebody else said, and on and on it goes. But there's an underlying issue here that uh, not too many people on the Police Services Board seem to want to address, but I think we as a community need to. And that's the uh, the composition of the board itself. Uh, an awful lot of the uh, contentious issue that they talk about here from time to time uh, has to do with uh, ethnicity and diversity. And people will point to the board itself and say, you know, does that board really reflect the composition of our community? It's all white. There, there's one woman on the board, but the rest of them are all males, all white males. And uh, I think it's caused a, a legitimate discussion uh, that needs to take place in this community. Evelyn Myrie is a community strategist and freelance columnist, a motivational speaker. She joins us here on the Bill Keller Show to uh, talk about this subject. Evelyn, thank you so much for the time. It's good to have you with us today. Hey, good morning, Bill. How are you? I'm, I'm well, thanks. I, listen, I want to get right to the heart of the matter here. And, and I, you know, we can talk about the issues that some of the police service board members seem to think are priorities and the accusations they make back and forth. But what about this idea about, about ethnicity and the, and the composition of the board itself? Um, and, and I know that we can probably expand this discussion to maybe other boards and agencies as well. But this has been an ongoing concern and something you've talked about for years now. Yes, Bill, it's been something many of us have talked about over the years, and um, I know that the police services across Ontario, one of the things the government is doing is to encourage more diversity in all its, in all uh, aspects of it, from the board governance to the um, to the policing on the, on the ground, the policing on the ground, and we would like to see uh, more diversity at the board level because they do make policies that affect the, the lives of uh, residents, of people who live in Hamilton or whatever city they are in, and it would be it is a best practice to uh, ensure diversity and inclusion on boards and commissions across this province and across this country. Quite frankly, well, so and- it's nothing new. We've been asking for that for years, and it needs to be uh, embedded. And as a part of the norm of the way we do business, the best practice. And I know that when we've talked to uh, various chiefs of police, including Chief Gerd and, and, and Glenn DeCare before he and Brian Mullen and and, and even Ken Robertson uh, going back a few uh, chiefs of police now, uh, they said they've all strived for that diversity within the, 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 the rank and file, in other words, with frontline officers. I don't think they've actually achieved the goals that they're shooting up for here, but and there's some concerns about that. But the board itself, the, the, the governing board, the police services board, you would think would, would try to show that sort of, uh, of, of, of diversity as well. Uh, and, and I don't want to say it's never happened because, you know, one of the past yeah. chairs was, was Nancy DiGregorio, who was an outstanding police board chair and served that in that capacity with the board for many, many years. But uh, it, it doesn't seem to be much of a priority for the people that are making the selections. And some of the selections are done provincially as well as at the city level in terms yeah. of the police, uh, the city council appointing their people to, to the police services. So it's something that these um, bodies, the city as well as the province who makes the selection, the political election um, appointments, need to be mindful of. And uh, oftentimes that doesn't seem to factor in um, and that we need to move away from the political appointments purely to 
appointments that reflect uh, the competency, of course, and the diversity that exists um, in the community that the police services uh, exist in. So I'm I'm happy to see this conversation uh, moving forward because it has been a longstanding concern in Hamilton and across the province. Um, so I'm you know I'm hoping that some action the next opportunity to appoint someone that the diversity will be a metric uh, as they do the value the assessment of that person. Evelyn, let's talk a little bit about why uh, because some people are going to listen to this discussion and think, well, that's just tokenism. Yes, well, you better get a black person on there, or you better get a Muslim on that board. Uh, but there's, but there's a, there's a strong rationale behind this, and 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 because you've talked about this on the program before, and it comes to to a certain point, I guess even alienation within some of those groups to understand that look, there's nobody on the board that understands where we are or who we are and what we are, and and that's important when you're talking about an agency like policing uh, that has a, uh, such a major impact on on community safety. You know, there are so many aspects to that, but one of one of my my go to rationale has always been how how would this feel. Uh, the board across Hamilton exists. It's only um, one gender. There's only, um, you know, white males on it. Um, and we have fought as in the women's community to ensure that diversity in genders and gender expression <clears throat> is a part of organizations. And um, when it comes to racialized communities, I don't understand the pushback because many of us have bought into the old notion that diversity for gender around gender equity is important, but we are seeming to um, push back around diversity and inclusion around racialized communities. And that's a question we need to ask ourselves. Why the pushback when it comes to racialized communities, representations on board? And when we fought for women's um, representation, yes, there's been some pushback, but it hasn't been so strong. So we need to ask ourselves collectively that question, but the there are uh, there are um, rational around one uh, the community you serve represents um, various people from various cultures and backgrounds, and it is a best practice to re- reflect those communities. So it's, it, it just makes sense, <laughs> diversity. You, you'd think it would, and you'd think that'd be a natural part of the conversation. But you recall, Evelyn, uh, a few months ago, the uh, the outrage that I saw anyway on social media, I think many of us did, uh, when Donald Trump announced the committee that was supposed to be looking into uh, the health care issue, specifically about uh, women's right to choose, et cetera. And I think there were 12 or 13 all-white middle-aged males. They were the ones that were on the committee. There's no women and no people exactly. of color on this thing. And we said, how can you possibly have that discussion? And and we were right to be outraged, I think, absolutely. But I guess we have to also at the same time look and say, well, are we doing a better job ourselves? And I'm not so sure the answer is yes. And our reports indicate that it's not. we're not doing much better when it comes to diversity on boards and commissions across Ontario. In fact, the Ontario government has established um, a secretariat to drive that issue forward, especially around gender equity. So I think it's important that this conversation stays in the, in the public square and that we are able to come to some kind of decision around it. And the fact that um, the report last night talked about need for more cultural diversity, training, and the like, certainly uh, leads toward that conversation around the representation. You've, you've made your voice and your, your opinions on this heard to government, too. What kind of reaction do you get on that? Uh, there's been a thought, you know, people tend to agree that there should be, but the process, uh, for recruitment or selection can become politicized. So sometimes it's, you know, political pandering, so to speak. 
Yeah, in other words, on a philosophical level, they'll say, you're absolutely right, Evelyn, we should be doing that. But then you look at actually who they select or who they, they appoint to these boards, and uh, for one reason or another, it doesn't seem to follow that way. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, even Justin Trudeau's idea about you know having 50% of his cabinet as, as women, and there was there was pushback on that. Well, they're just there because they're women. And Well, go down the list, and who's not qualified? Of course they're qualified. And, you know, the, um, the I think it's called the Justice of Peace. Once at a time, it was another political appointment. Now it's selection through a process of assessments and interviews, and the best person gets the job. And you see the diversity that's starting to happen in that sector. When it just comes down to political appointments, we don't see diversity a lot of times because people are getting um, rewarded for being loyal party supporters, unfortunately. And and that happens all too often, and it doesn't matter who's making the appointments. It just seems to be they, they go to their people. Uh, and and that's the the pool from which they draw when they and and by the way this is not I want to make this clear this is not to cast aspersions on the people that sit on the police services board all of them are very capable people uh, and outstanding Hamiltonians I I get that part of it we're just saying that look at you know when these things are being selected and it's not the police service board that select their own members uh, yeah. but the, the the federal government and the in this case the municipal government as you say that has one of these appointees this should be one of the criteria and i'm not so sure that it's very high on the list when they do this and perhaps the police services board could push that issue forward to say you know as they um, look at the next set of appointments that's a position they would like to take to say we encourage the appointments to be reflective of our community and that's all they can do because they do not make that final decision at the end of the day but you as I, I, you and I both know that they look at they they may not make that, but phone calls are made and suggestions right. are made uh, to political officials to say, "Hey, I'd really like to see so and so considered quote unquote uh, for that position, and that may or may not be factored into exactly who gets the appointment. But you sat around tables of power uh, bill at, at some point in your life, but maybe still so you might have been privy to those kind of nuances. Well, I saw that, and listen, I've been quite candid about that. You know, I, I spent a little bit of time when I was on city council on what they call the selection committee uh, that would go over the uh, the applicants for some of the boards and agencies, the citizen appointments, and uh, a lot of them are, are, are really just people that worked on somebody's campaign, and, you know, this guy here, was a, he knocked on a lot of doors for me. I want this guy on such and such a committee, and it was kind of a payback for their, their loyalty to that uh, candidate turned now city councilor. And... Uh, it, it it bothered me, frankly. I mean, I ended up resigning from the board simply because I thought it was really just kind of a, a little game that they were playing. Mm -hmm. uh, and and you'd like to see that taken out. I, I would like to see that, that whole process taken away from city councilors themselves and have uh, city staff uh, doing that, that that whole process. So I think you'd probably get a much cleaner, I think, uh, process if you had it done that way. That's a good, that's a good point, uh, Bill. I like that uh, suggestion as well. Anyway, because uh, you've talked about this, I've talked with Javed Mirza, of course, from the Muslim Association, and, and others uh, from, from other communities within our greater Hamilton community here, and, and it's a common concern, and, and I'm, I'm frankly a little frustrated, as, and if I'm frustrated, I'm sure you are too, Evelyn, that, it, that it, we don't have this discussion oftentimes. You know, I, I'm feeling that there's going to be some change, because the more and more voice are being added to this conversation, that's really important I hear young people talking about it. I hear people from various cultural communities speaking about it, as well as from the mainstream community. People who are allies around diversity and inclusion are also concerned about this. So I am optimistic that change will be coming soon. <laughs> 
I have to remain optimistic, right? Well, you have to be. You have to be optimistic. You have to remain optimistic. I'm glad the conversation is taking place. I hope the policymakers and the decision makers and the people who make selections are listening because we have to make uh, this a bit better. We have to strengthen our democracy, not appease those who are in our corners. And, and and when I look at other communities and I see it happening with more regularity than it happens here, you you you're wondering yourself and said, why not Hamilton? And why isn't it happening with the same speed and and the same efficiency that it seems to be happening in other cities? Well, even you, we need new police chief. We have um, conversation with him on a regular basis. You know, there's an openness to it. But as you said, as I said, that it's decision makers that need to be influenced. Well, and <laughs> I guess the broader discussion is maybe we should have some influence about who gets elected as those decision makers, too. Right. Uh, and again, I mean, you could look at the Greater City Council here, the, the 16 people that sit around that table, and, and talk about that same concern about ethnic diversity, and is that a true reflection of the community? That's, that's a little more complex, because that's uh, motivating people to actually run for public office uh, and have the wherewithal to run for public office, and that can be a rather daunting task, too. And looking at the appointments too, I thought that's a very for the next election. Who gets on boards and commissions, and what and what position do they occupy? All the immigrants are at the many of the immigrants are at the committee against racism, immigration partnership council. They're not at the power broking positions. That's really important to look at where people are located, even within the context of um, pushing appointments. Yes, we can look at our metrics and say, yes, we are 10 more people on the city board who are racialized or from diverse cultural communities. If you go a little deeper and see where they are sitting or at what tables they sit, you realize that those positions are less powerful. Well, exactly. And and that that's part of the concern as well, too. Well, we're going to keep the conversation going, uh, certainly on this program, and certainly I hope in the community as well, Evelyn. Thanks so much for the time today. Well, it's great you, talking Will. with you again. Have a great day. You too. Evelyn Myrie, of course, a uh, uh, very concerned citizen, as all of us should be about this. And it seems to be at least a factor in some of the uh, the, the craziness that's going on with the Police Services Board. Uh, the, the board itself, of course, uh, has uh, had a number of issues right now uh, that have gone before their governing body. And, uh, and it, it just seems to be holding everything up. In other words, that the, the, the infighting that's going on there seems to supersede the overall agenda that the Police Services Board actually should be dealing with right now. And, and therein lies part of the problem. The Ontario Civilian Police Commission, the OCPC, uh, has had this complaint from this member and then another complaint from another member. And, well, I don't like what they said and I don't like what they said. And it, it's, it's just craziness. And, the, you know, the board finally came back, the uh, police commission finally came back and said, look, enough already. All of these charges that you guys are bringing against each other are frivolous, vexatious, knock it off and get back to work. We attempted, we uh, should tell you, uh, to reach out to a number of members of the police services board. And uh, coincidentally, none of them are available this morning. But uh, we will endeavor to continue to do that and get the discussion going and uh, hopefully get these guys back on track. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. Right now, uh, a man who has many remarkable stories. Uh, it's a time for the Mayor's Town Hall. Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring is with us here in studio. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. It's good to be here. Uh, first and foremost, uh, we should uh, make it official. I know you did the other day that uh, you're in the race officially now for uh, re-election. Uh, with the election's coming up next year. The election's about a year from now, and I had so many people in the community asking me what my intention was for next year, so I thought it appropriate to make a formal uh, media announcement and just let everybody know I'm running and 
now I don't worry about that. I go back to work and just <laughs> focus on the, on all the uh, issues that we're dealing with this fall and into next spring. And uh, the election is next year, and we'll be organized for that, of course. Well, I'm glad you checked that box, and we can move on from that, obviously, because there is a lot going on in your community. It's uh, uh, incredible engagement. And we were just talking before we started the, sh- the segment here today. Uh, about the the uh, the diverse opinions that I'm hearing on a number of key issues right now, and you heard those because you uh, came up with a, I, I thought a rather interesting idea, uh, a telephone town hall that uh, that you did with your residents. Yeah, Talk to I, us about that. I, yeah, so our, our our staff, our communications staff, uh, suggested the idea because of the fact that for the last couple of years, our attendance at our formal budget meetings. Uh, that we have specifically for members of our, our community to come out and listen to information about the budget. The last one we had, I think we didn't have any more than two people. And uh, what we heard from people through engaging with people that uh, <laughs> people wanted to be more convenient uh, to provide input into the budget and recognizing we want to hear from people 365 days a year, not just at budget time, but in any event, we decided to do a a budget telephone town hall meeting. We did it on Wednesday evening. Uh, it's a system that we hired a company in Burlington that makes these robocalls, encourages people to call in a certain time. And on Wednesday evening, uh, we had up to uh, up to 850 people who had called in listening to the call. Uh, and at the end of the evening, we still had 150 people on the call with us. And I was able to, along with senior staff, to answer 19 questions of people who called in. So it was a great success. Now, whose whose idea was this? This is Christine works for you now. Christine Show works for you. Well, she she's in in the mayor's office. I, I, no, I asked because it, I know it, she it, works. Uh, I worked yeah. with her at CH years ago. She did talk live with. Uh, she's one of the producers. Yeah, you, you got a great staff there. So but it was, this it was is outside our, the box it, thinking. It, it isn't was, it? This is our communication staff in the city yeah. of Burlington. Yeah. So, um, and you know, one of the things, one of the awards we just were recognized with Bill recently in September was from the International Association of Public Participation. We were given a core values award. We were given the Core Values Award, and we were given the, the for our um, the values of, of community engagement in our city as evidenced by a community engagement charter that we approved back in 2013. And community engagement charter is something that we uh, display in a number of our public buildings that advises people what their rights are and what their responsibilities are when it comes time to engaging with their uh, municipal government, with their local government. So this is just evidence that community engagement is very critical in our city. It's very important. We take it seriously. And I give uh, Michelle Dwyer and some of our other staff, our communication staff, uh, full credit for the idea of coming up with this telephone town hall. We tried it five years ago with our strategic plan. It was very effective. We thought we'd do it again around our budget. So what, what kind of stuff? You mentioned 19 questions that, uh, that residents had for you. What are, they, what are they talking about? So I remember one uh, particular subject uh, matter that came up with regard to the lack of connectability between the area of Burlington north of the QEW and south of the QEW. And two people expressed the desire for a pedestrian cycling connection over the QEW, like you have in Hamilton and yeah. in the East End, you have a, a good one over, to, you know, by the beach. Another one up on top of the link of the Red Hill there. Another one on top of the link. So we need to have one of those. And I certainly will be raising that in our 2018 capital budget discussion and recognizing we want to get some provincial and federal funding to help us with that particular link. But we need to do the engineering work and the assessment work, environmental assessment work. And I'll be making sure we have money in the budget that we can at least do the analytical work 
in 2018. What's interesting about doing those sorts of town halls, and that's why I enjoy when you come on here and when, when uh, Mayor Eisenberger comes on, is, uh, you know, we have, as doing this show all the time, a, a pretty good idea, I think, of what we think are the key issues. Uh, and it's budgets, and it's, you know, the, the way the city's going to grow, and economic development, and these mm-hmm. these are all the, the hot-button issues that we talk about on a pretty regular basis, because they're the things that, that really kind of, I, I think, mold the city as to how it's going to go. But sometimes you, you don't know about what else is going on and what what's on people's minds. And right. sometimes they're neighborhood issues. And it's, they're micro as opposed to macro. Oh, yeah. And it's always interesting when you do something like you did on Wednesday mm-hmm. to get their perspective on what they think is important to them. I mean, you know, and all the times you've been coming in here, we hadn't actually talked about putting a bike trail, you know, or a, 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 a passageway over top of the highway like that. But somebody obviously is thinking about that, and it's on somebody's mind. This it kind of elevates a, an awful lot of it, issues. It, it helps it? percolate some things. So yeah. in our in our cycling master plan that we approved in 2008, and that we're now in the process of developing another one, it's very clear that we want that that uh, cycling pedestrian connection over the QEW. But it's been laying dormant yeah. since 2008, 2009. So. I've heard from a couple other residents recently that they believe it's important. I believe it's important. We want to provide that uh, connectivity that people don't feel they have to put their bikes on their car to come down to South Burlington, the bike, or vice versa, going up to North Burlington. Um, so I'll be, I'll be pushing the issue and asking how we can uh, move this along. Interesting idea uh, to, to do something like that, and obviously uh, something that I'm sure a lot of other uh, uh, communities are going to be picking up on, too, doing these uh, telephone town halls. As you mentioned, uh, from the time you did it a few years ago, the technology is much better now, too. Much better and much cheaper, <laughs> much less expensive. So, no. You hear that, taxpayers? Yeah. It's cheaper. No, it, it was very inexpensive to do it. I think we should be doing it more. Let's talk a little bit about some of the uh, downtown developments and some of the uh, uh, projects that are that are on uh, tap right now. The council's been dealing with right now. Uh, you know, of course, that Marion Mead Board, uh, one of your fellow councillors, of course, was on the program. Uh, raising some concerns about the hotel project. Now, I know you've talked about this on the yeah. town hall before. Uh, what's the status on that? Because that was, uh, well, it, it seemed in, in some ways to actually be polarizing people. Uh, some want to see something happen down there. Some have a real problem with this. Others are trying to find a compromise at this. At yeah, this stage, anyway. Yeah, no, there's certainly a range of perspectives, and we've heard it through we, with the significant public engagement we've done. For uh, people that don't know, it's, we're talking about the hotel we're, site we're right on the waterfront. We're talking about the waterfront hotel site, which is a little less than two acres, and the owner uh, who bought it about eight or nine years ago is interested in redeveloping the site and having a lot more uh, uh, lot more density uh, on the site, it's a lot a, more height a, on the it's site. It's a tired facility. And it it's a tired facility. It was built in the mid-'80s, seven-story, uh, old hotel, uh, he's done a good job with the, the you know the current footprint of the hotel, but there's a desire there to redevelop from the owner of the property, which is certainly uh, his right. I mean, he's every right to 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 look for redevelopment. So we have this public process that we've been through, um, where we've heard from the, the public about different viewpoints about what's important to them for development to take place there. Uh, there's certainly a disconnect from the amount of height and density that should go on the site. Um, you know, there's some of us would prefer much less height and density. Some of us prefer the uh, the height and density to one side of the uh, the lot so that we can open up Spencer Smith um, Park or extend Spencer Smith Park. So there's a lot to consider. So where we are right now is uh, I believe the dates are November 18. Uh, a p- particular report is going to come up from come out from staff from our planning staff with regard to an update to where we are in the process. And it's simply an update. My understanding, without a specific recommendation, at least that's what I've been advised. And then around uh, November 28th, the end of November, uh, council will consider the report and uh, potentially provide some direction of where we should go with this. Um, 
you know, this is a premier site in downtown Burlington. Uh, we have to do this right, whatever goes on the site. Uh, there's a desire from some uh, that would like to see us buy the site. It'd be a very expensive site to buy. Uh, what, and just continue the park? Just continue the park. You know, and, and, and I have empathy for that. I mean, I, 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 that appeals to me uh, as well because it's not so much what you get, right? What, what you get is, is an extra two acres of parkland, but it's what you don't get, right? It's what you don't get, you know, potentially two 20 or 25 or two 30-story buildings. That's what you don't get. So I believe what you don't get is more important than what you would get. But, you know, recognizing but that— you're going to suffer from sticker shock, though, when you see Well, that's that. it. Well, I mean, <laughs> so, but is there something in between that we can look at? And I don't want to get into what some of my ideas are No, but, but Councilor right Ward now. mentioned that the other day yeah. when she joined us on the program and said that maybe there's a compromise here where maybe part of that land could be used as green right. space. So, but does that involve—it's going to involve some sort of negotiation. Yeah. And I'm going to use the meeting that we're going to have at the end of November to engage council and, and potentially um, getting staff to review other alternatives than what we're, what we're going to see on November the 28th. So um, it's a very sensitive piece of land. Uh, I would like to see something unique happen there, however, however we define it, but it's not simple. We don't own the land, so there's a negotiation that has to take place here, and, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a price tag to be paid to, to lower the uh, density of the development. Are you finding that the, uh, the the proponents here are being cooperative? Are they open-minded to this situation? I mean, are they are they amenable to talking about maybe a, a, a different plan here, or are they being steadfast in what they want here? Um, I, I, we haven't really had the negotiations yet, so it's been very open discussion. Uh, certainly the, the owner of the property has some, I would say, some pretty aggressive ideas that, I, that, are, that are extreme that I, I wouldn't be on for. Um, but we have to have a discussion. I mean, that's, that's the nature of it. The, you know, the developer owns the property. It, it, it's private property. Uh, there has to be negotiation between the city and the, and the developer. But I don't want to get ahead of ourselves. Um, we, we're going to have this update report that's going to go to council at the end of, end of November, and then we'll decide where we go and what options we want to have staff investigate. Interestingly enough, though, this is actually part of a broader discussion about the the changing landscape, I guess, of, of downtown Burlington, because, I mean, you are getting pressure now from, from others to say, hey, I want to do this here. I want to build this here. And and I guess what you're trying to find here is this balance between what you've got, some great heritage buildings and, and, a, and, a, and a very, very attractive downtown core, uh, and you want to balance that against some new growth that some people would like to, to entertain. It's It's a balancing act to be sure. Well, it is, and I, and I like to put things in perspective here, and I might have used these numbers before, but in the city of Burlington, you know, recognize we're, we're part of the greater Toronto-Hamilton area that's, that's growing rapidly, and we have to accept some of that growth. So my view is let's embrace it, let's look at this as an opportunity, and let's shape it and form it. So 50% of our city is in the green belt that is protected from development. 34% of our city, of our land mass is uh, traditional uh, neighborhoods that, We'll see modest change. 11% is our employment land, which we need to intensify our employment land. But 5% is the area of our downtown and the area around three GO stations within the city of Burlington. That's where we're going to see growth. So if we look at downtown, which is one of the four areas that we've earmarked for more significant growth, we look at the downtown and the draft plan that our staff have come up with for our official plan breaks down downtown into 11 different precincts. 11 different precincts in the urban growth area. And summarized, the 11 precincts are this. 49% are public 
public usage lands. So that includes Spencer Smith Park. That includes the hospital. That includes City Hall. That includes the Performing Arts Center, the Joseph Brandt Museum, the Art Gallery of Burlington, and, and other parks. So that's 49% of our downtown urban growth center uh, is, is public use. Um, 40%, I'm going to get this right. Yes, I'm heading down the right path. 40% is traditional neighborhoods, so the Emerald Neighborhood. Uh, and, and others in the downtown, traditional single-family home areas that aren't going to change much. So it's 11% of the downtown that we've identified to have more growth. So certainly along Brant Street Corridor, we're looking at maintaining uh, the feel and ambiance of Brant Street by having low rise on Brant Street, yeah. but it can tear us up to 11 stories as you get away from Brant Street. Up at the Brant and Ghent area, we're looking at allowing up to 25-story buildings. Uh, there's a That's closer to the highway for people closer to the putting highway, that in their right. mind's eye. Closer yeah. to the GO station, yeah. So, yeah. which makes it more, you know, to have, makes a lot of sense to have a lot of height and density closer to the GO station. Um, and then there's a certain district in the downtown that we would allow buildings up to 17 stories where there's other buildings of other similar heights. So the actual percentage of land in our downtown urban growth center that we're looking at allowing um, more permission space for, for height and density is about 11% of a river downtown area. So it's not going to be everywhere. But, but you've got a lot of people that are trying to shoehorn something into that 11%. You, you, no, you're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. We cannot squander opportunities. We have to make sure we take advantage of opportunities as they, as they come along. And the corner of James and Brand, right in front of uh, City Hall, uh, staff are, are, are suggesting that we can allow 17-story buildings on the corner at Brant and James there. Yeah, but that doesn't sit well with a lot of people. Some of the folks I've talked to in, in town and on council are, it, it, are, are it, really it, warming into that it idea. Is, uh, it is a challenge. It is a challenge. The, you know, there's, as, I, as I said many times, there's a range of different perspectives. There's people I've heard, heard from, particularly younger people, that are full bore on for this. They, you know, the more height and density, almost the better. And then, of course, there's people who lived in Burlington a long time, like myself, um, you know, I've lived in Burlington for 57 out of my 60 years, and I've seen Burlington change dramatically. There's people myself, uh, my vintage and, and older, that would really like to see less, a lot less change happen. So uh, we're going to find a particular balance. It's not going to be in alignment with everybody's uh, perspective, uh, but we just have to um, figure out, we have to land on something, and people have to trust our staff that we're going to do this well. It's going to be done in a very thoughtful way. You're listening to The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML. It's the Mayor's Town Hall, Burlington Mayor Rick Goldring is with us here in studio. Uh, we're talking about uh, the uh, development that's being proposed, especially at the hotel down by the waterfront there. Uh, and uh, we were commenting during the news break, uh, the Mayor and I, about uh, waterfront and developments and uh, what an asset waterfronts can be to communities. And uh, we were kind of comparing and contrasting what was going on in other communities. And uh, as great as, as your waterfront is with Spencer Smith Park and some of the other things that are going on, uh, you guys don't sit back and say, okay, that's done. Now we can move on. There's always people coming up with new ideas and new twists to this. And I know that, that and you're always looking at revising and, and revisiting that waterfront every now and then to see what else can be done. Right. I mean, it, it is a it is a great asset. There's no there's no question about it. And it's not just Spencer Smith Park. It's Burl Oak Waterfront Park, and it's LaSalle Park, which is of course owned by the City of Hamilton, operated by the mm-hmm. City of Burlington, in the City of Burlington. And we have a number of the what we call windows to the lake, um, and that we've looked at enhancing and have enhanced over the last number of years. 
And the windows at, at the lake are typically at the end of a certain street. And, you, you know, you put some park benches there. You animate it a little bit. You put some, um, you know, nice landscaping in. And you make it a little bit of a refuge so people can go and sit and enjoy the view of the lake. So it's not just Spencer Smith Park. There's lots of other opportunities to uh, connect with the waterfront as well. We have Paletta Waterfront Park as well, Paletta mm-hmm. Mansion. Uh, is a great place to go and enjoy the waterfront. So we have a number of great spots in the city. But there's always going to be pressure on communities uh, to, to to put something else there. Uh, yeah. you know, and, and developers are doing this, and I'm not painting them in a bad light, uh, because I know people want to live down by the waterfront. Uh, many of them do, and uh, just as they want to live in downtown cores these days. So condo developments, whether they're going to be high-rise or low-rise, uh, so there's always going to be that pressure. And, and I'm always... Uh, respectful of that because you've got to find that balance like you were talking about a few minutes ago. But at the same time, communities have to stay strong and, and, and true to their desire to to use the waterfront as, as a people place and as an enhancement. And we were talking about Collingwood. Mm-hmm. I spent a lot of time up there uh, in the summertime especially. And you see some of the great waterfront developments there and what Burlington's done there too. And you got to know that there's got to be pressure to say, "Oh, let's build something here. Let's yeah. build something." And you want to, you, you you have to pay attention to that. Well, you have to pay. And, and I, I look at the water, uh, um, the water, Bridgewater development. Sorry, the Bridgewater yeah. development, uh, which is under construction right now, right where the old Dairy Queen used to be, uh, not far from Emmas, uh, and right beside the Waterfront Hotel. So that development was planned over 20 years ago, and it's going to be a 22-story condominium building an eight-story Marriott Autograph Collection Hotel, a very nice boutique hotel, and a seven-story condo as well. But what's unique about that is that the connectivity it will create to the waterfront, as much as, yes, there'll be the buildings there, but there'll be be a lot of open area between the buildings. And the buildings are set back quite a bit from the waterfront. So it it basically extends Spencer Smith Park to be behind these buildings. So there'll be all sorts of open airspace and public plaza-type space in and around the buildings uh, adjacent to the waterfront. So and that's always one of the big concerns, isn't it, for people that say, well, I like to bike along there. Right. Uh, right. Oh, there's a building in the way. I can't do that. You want to maintain that access. I do want to point out, too, that you know, we have a, this old Lakeshore Road precinct um, that we've looked at in the past. We haven't looked at much recently. The, where Emma's Back Porches, uh, the Water Street Cooker, um, and other, other buildings there. And recognizing that no development can take place south of Old Lakeshore Road. For example, where Emma's is, uh, Emma's, by the way, is a heritage uh, building, so you can't do anything with it unless you get permission. Um, but even if you want to re- redevelop that, you would not allow it to be uh, redeveloped so close to the waterfront uh, because of the stable top of bank issues for the con- mm-hmm. and the Conservation Authority regulations. So south of Old Lakeshore Road, you can't develop anyway. Uh, in Burlington. So there's a number of old um, buildings that are there or, or old development that's there, including the old Estaminet, which is Emma's Back Porch, yeah. and the Water Street Cooker. You can't change that, right? You can't change that, which is good. We want to preserve Yeah, you that, don't want to change a, it. A, a, a nice feel, but there's other other lots in the area uh, that, that there may be a desire for development, but literally it's impossible under the conservation regulations, and that's good for us because it maintains that openness in those areas to the waterfront. But I, I think we're smarter now. I mean, you know, I, I used to have these arguments with some of my colleagues when I was on council or even some former mayors from time to time here in Hamilton uh, because back in the 60s and 70s, urban renewal was the, the, the mantra. That was the cry, for, not just in Hamilton, but in just about every North American city. 
And and it seemed as if, well, it's okay. Knock down those old buildings and let's build some brand new high, you know, steel glass places. And and we did that to a certain extent here in Hamilton and other cities have done it well. And, and, and now, of course, now we have remorse, you know, like, wow, we shouldn't have lost that building. We shouldn't have done that to that neighborhood. Uh, and and that's that's obviously the discussion and the debate that's going on to try to maintain the heritage and the integrity of the community. And you've certainly done that with your downtown core. And I can understand why there's some pushback from people well, that are no saying, question. "Hey, we don't want any of that yeah, stuff here." There's no question. But your your point has always been you have to grow. It's just how you grow. It, it's how you grow, how you shape it, how you how you form it. And you know, recognizing we do have a lot of buildings in downtown Burlington that have a heritage designation. Some are simply on the property registry. But that's one of the points I, I made at the public meeting we had uh, when the downtown plan was unveiled that we have to make sure that we maintain those older buildings and, and because they contribute so much and they give communities a sense of place and distinctness. It's your old buildings. It's not your new buildings so much. It's your older buildings that give your your downtowns and your other key areas in your city, you know, that feeling of, of, of a sense of place. I know, and, and this is why, for instance, when you get a proposed condo development that may want to go across from City Hall. Yeah, which we're going to be dealing with. We get a report out today, Bill, oh, that, that's uh, on the, with that's a recommendation. Okay, so, good. So there's a report, and I'm, and the the preliminary information I have is that staff will be recommending a, uh, an amended approval. So they won't be recommending the whole thing, but some of the some of the development. So we'll see what happens there. Because the very location that makes that place attractive are some of the heritage buildings that are around it. Correct. Uh, so, the, you know, you need that blend. You need that aspect of what's going on there. Uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, something you brought up at the last uh, session you were here for the town hall, uh, and that's uh, the the way that the city is planning and the way the city is growing right now. And you, you've talked about the mobility hubs as, as key growth areas, and you want to uh, try to uh, maximize the, the impact that those can have on the community. Absolutely, and that includes our downtown, but also includes the uh, our three GO stations. I guess I envision a time when you can live in downtown Burlington and live in our mobility hubs, and a, a, a reasonable percentage of people will not need a car. And the reason they won't need a car because eventually we're going to have 15-minute all-day uh, GO service on the Lakeshore GO West line. Eventually we're going to have 15-minute all-day service on Burlington Transit on the Plains Road Fairview Corridor. Eventually there will be other commercial development and office development that there's a chance that you will be able to live and work in the same area and you'll be able to access you know, a hardware store, a drugstore, a bank, a bakery, a, a cafe, a pub, a restaurant, and, and other um, public amenity type of uh, uh, commercial establishments so that you will be able to have that Liberty Village type of lifestyle around our GO stations in Burlington. That's what I envision. And you know what? You won't need a car, but if, be, but if you do need a car, there will be, be a car share program in your building where you can, you know, book it and you can use it, you know, when you need it to go to Fortino's for your big grocery shop of the week or go to Costco to get, you know, your big shop of the month or whatever, however you shop. It's not like you won't be without a car if you need one, but you won't need a car for the vast majority of the time. You think about it. We have cars in our driveways or parked somewhere about 95% of the time. The average person only uses their car 5% of the time and they're parked for 95% of the time. So wouldn't it be nice if you lived in an area that was walkable, you could bike places, uh, great access to all the amenities you need, great access to transportation. It's a healthier lifestyle. There's lower greenhouse gas emissions, and you can still pr- still provide great neighborhood feeling. It's 
and you use the Liberty Village example, of course, in downtown Toronto. That's the area for people who don't know. It's near the Rogers Center, that area just to, to the uh, to the west of that, uh, right by the Pioneer Village. Kind of, well, I guess those are the two bookends for it, really. And it's a community within a community. It's Absolutely. got just about everything you want there, yeah. uh, and and it's very walkable. Yeah. And and that's uh, it's. I guess what you strive for here is to have communities within communities. And if you want to go from one to another because there's something you desire over there, yeah. you want to have public transit. I, I I have very rarely run into anybody that says I don't want any public transit. They, yeah. Anybody I know that doesn't use it, usually for two reasons: it's not convenient. Right. Uh, and it's 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 kind of expensive sometimes for people. So if you can tackle those two issues and make it convenient for them, in other words, I can get to where I want to get quickly and efficiently. They'll take the bus or they'll take whatever it is a subway or whatever you have in your municipality. But you need to have the service. It's yeah. got to be good quality service. It's got to be predictable service, and it's got to be frequent service. And it's got to get you to where you need to go. So you're you're absolutely right. So you've got these hubs set up, and, and like I say, not just downtown, but of course you know, in, in other areas. And, and Go service is going to be a key element to that whole thing. Uh, and, and obviously that's got to be done in conjunction obviously, pr- with provincial governments. Uh, oh, so, absolutely. So you're looking for long-term commitments from them, obviously, for transit. And this government obviously seems to be on track to do that with Burlington and Hamilton and other communities as well. Uh, we remember having discussions with the folks up in Brantford for some time, too, and they, they've been crying for extended go service up there, and they finally got that commitment as well. So all that stuff they talked about in places to grow way back when seems to be coming to fruition. I guess better late than never, but it is, it is the, the, that's the bones for the plan that we have here, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, you look at Burlington back in 2005, we greenbelted ourselves. We accepted the fact that 50% of Burlington was going to be in the greenbelt and Places to Grow Act was passed. And the Places to Grow Act was to uh, really help focus growth in such a way that you are preserving farmland, preserving wetlands, preserving woodlots, and not paving over that type of land for new development and minimizing new suburban type of development and maximizing uh, more mixed or more of that compact mixed use walkable transit supportive neighborhoods in different areas in the in the greater Toronto Hamilton area and the greater Golden Horseshoe area and it, it is happening but it's not easy it's not simple and, and Burlington's a great example of that it's going to take us um, years if not a decade and a decade and a half to implement what we have in, what we have in mind uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Amazon. Uh, we had Chris Murray, the city manager for uh, the city of Hamilton, of course, on yesterday. Uh, the bids were in. Uh, they've all got this. And Burlington's involved in this, obviously. I mean, who wouldn't be? I mean, we know when a company like Amazon says, hey, we're thinking of creating 50,000 jobs, mm-hmm. how would you like some of those? I mean, you'd be silly to say, no, we're not interested. Yeah, Mayor, Mayor Eisenberger gave me a call, I guess, two or three weeks ago when the whole Amazon possibility came out. And he asked, asked me if Burlington would be willing to be part of the Hamilton bid. And I said, absolutely. So uh, we got our economic development uh, corporation involved. And uh, yesterday there was an announcement of the bid, and Burlington did contribute to the, the cost of, of development. I, I, I thought it's a no-brainer. I mean, it was a no-brainer because for us. Because there's so, so much collaboration between the two right. cities now anyway. It, it was a no-brainer for us. So we were glad to, uh, to contribute. And I obviously hope Hamilton gets it because 50,000 jobs, I mean, they're not all coming from Hamilton. We know – Probably a third of those jobs could come from Burlington. Well, so uh, well, and this the benefit is, is huge. And you look at the collaboration that's gone on here. I mean, you know, the, the you know the the shared economic development and the shared economic conferences, of course, that are going on. The economic summits, of course, uh, between the two cities. Uh, the the shared uh, you know the the, the educational facilities and, uh, that we have. Of course, you've got your DeGroote School of Business campus, of course, that's going on out uh, just by the highway there in affiliation with McMaster. 
uh, we're, we're basically one community now anyway, well, working together towards economic development. It only really makes sense that we would uh, work together to do something like this. And Because if it happens, it's going to benefit both communities. So newer statistics will come out uh, later this year, but... Uh you know, the stats for about eight or nine years have shown that about 25 or 28,000 people come from Hamilton every day to work in Burlington and about nine or 10,000 go into Hamilton. So we've had this long-seated, um, long, long connection economically uh, for some time. We share a workforce. We share a bay. We share the Royal Botanical Gardens. We share the United Way now with all the Halton yeah. as well as yeah. Hamilton. Uh, we share so much. McMaster University, it's only natural that we're going to work together when this great uh, economic opportunity comes along like, like I'll say, Amazon. <laughs> well, and here's the thing, is that there are critics, and I see this on social media every day, why bother, why waste your money, you're just throwing money away, and uh, I don't know how much of a shot Hamilton's got. I think there's over 100 cities across North America that have bid on this. But the way I'm looking at this and the, and the positive attitude I've got towards this is based on the fact that this at least raises the flag for this area. Exactly. And even if Amazon says we're not interested, exactly. there are a lot of other companies that are in that field that might say, hey, you know, we looked at your bid. Uh, can we talk? Or, it, it, or Amazon could say, you know what, we've, we've decided on Houston or something. But, and then a year later say, by the way, we want to do something else. Would you guys be interested? Because we were really impressed with you. You know, absolutely, Billy. You know, th- this particular bid in, in Hamilton, Burlington, and Niagara has brought people together. And has brought people together, raising the flag for economic development in the western end of the GTA in Hamilton and, and, and Niagara. Um, it's, it's helped, you know, uh, create better relationships. And it's helped wave the flag that we're open for business. You know, West, uh, the West GTA, Hamilton, Niagara, we are all open for business. And there's not many areas in the world that are much more desirable than the western end of Lake Ontario. Yeah, I mean, we're, you know, 40 minutes away here from the, the biggest market in North America along the northeast coast there. Uh, we've got the airport. We've got the, the short sea shipping. We've got rail transportation. We've got road infrastructure. So what it does is it just says, hey, look at us. And, and I think you need to do that every now and then to attract that business. So good on them. And we'll see how the process goes. But I, I just got a feeling that, that this is actually going to open doors that weren't uh, open before uh, because of some of the things and some of the collaborations that are going on between the two cities. Listen, I got about a minute or two left here. Uh, one of the things that you've talked about in the past, of course, is uh, your Inspire Burlington series. Uh, and these are always great. I've talked to other folks in the business community that get a real charge out of attending these things because you bring in some, some very, very interesting people. And uh, you've got one of these coming up uh, in uh, in just a little while here. With uh, I, I, what's the best way to describe Moses? A media mogul, a media, media vision, icon, yeah. visionary. Yeah. Moses Neimer is coming, and uh, that that's going to be an interesting day. It's going to be an interesting day. And you know, he's president of CARP, which is formerly the Canadian Association of Retired People. Yeah. Um, and you know, recognize that in the city of Burlington, we have one third or almost one third of our population that's 55 plus. Um, when we promoted it, uh, that we were oversubscribed within two weeks. Actually, we didn't promote it that hard. So uh, we're going to do a present. Our Moses uh, is going to do a presentation, or I believe he shows a film, a video for about 25 minutes, and then he answers questions. And the, the whole premise of the video, my understanding is. The way baby boomers are aging today, or, or boomers or zoomers or whatever we want to call them, uh, they're aging a lot differently, and, and really they don't want to age. They want to stretch this life <laughs> out as long as possible and stretch the life out not only in, by number but by quality as well. So he's going to ask questions around that, but this 
videos supposed to be very provocative and get people thinking. And then we're going to have an open dialogue. So it promises to be a very uh, interesting evening. He's uh, a media icon, obviously. And, and he's reinvented himself so many different ways. Absolutely. I mean, Moses, for those who don't know, he's basically a guy that invented City TV. City TV. Uh, way back right. when, and, yeah. and put that on the air. And it was very controversial at the time because yeah. it was a different approach to news. Yeah. It was a different approach to, to programming. Uh, and raised a lot of eyebrows. Uh, and then when it was flourishing, and of course that evolved into much music and a lot of other things like that. Fashion TV. And he and just and he just said, all right, I've had enough of this, and he sold it. Yeah. That's it, I'm moving on. Yeah. And now he's back into the uh, the broadcasting business and the magazine, which is a great magazine, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, as, as as those generations of people that used to gravitate to city TV have grown older, he's he's say, hey, let's get back in the game and deliver the product. He's you know, got a million stories. This is going to be a great day. When is it? It is Tuesday, November the 7th. As I mentioned, we're oversubscribed, but we will uh, add people to a, to a list because typically a lot of people don't come that book early on, so yeah. we're trying to balance that. So we don't want to ever be in a position where somebody can't find a seat, but it's uh, it's November the 7th, and uh, uh, go to burlington.ca uh, slash mayor uh, for more information. But it's November the 7th at the Burlington Performing Arts Center, it promises to be a very inspiring evening. Sure will. Thanks so much. Uh, we're just about out of time. Thanks so much for coming in, Mr. Mayor. Bill, I always appreciate the time. Thank you. Burlington Mayor Rick Goldwig. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.